Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. So now let's join uh, the action behind the scenes. First, I want to thank my listeners for uh, joining us today and those people in the chat room. The chat room is open. My guest today is Hollywood talent agent and manager, Mr. Phil Brock of Studio Talent Group in Santa Monica, California. And he's going to share with us secrets and tips and suggestions and advice uh, for the actor uh, so that you can advance your career and be more successful. And he'll be coming up in just a moment, and I'll tell you more about him uh, in just seconds. But let me ask you this. Right now, if you're listening live or even if you're listening to this archive, because all the shows are recorded live, and they're stored as podcasts, and they're archived uh, in complete links you know, on my site. The official site is RexSykesMovieBeat at R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. That's my name, RexSykes.com. And if you go to the interviews blog, all of these interviews are stored there along with the biography pages of my guests so you can read about them. And inside the biography page is the link to listen live or to listen archived. Now, if you found this on Facebook, for example, or on Twitter, that same link that you use to listen to the live show is also the link you use to listen to the archive show. So you can share these with your friends once the show is over. You can say, hey, I heard a great show today. Phil Brock, talent agent, was on. You've got to listen to this. Here's the link, and you just share it. Tweet it. Uh, email it. You know, right now, you could reach across the room and look at someone and say, hey, come join me, listen to this. You could get on the phone and call someone. You could live tweet. You could Facebook it. You could email it. Whatever your favorite social media means, please go reach out, grab someone, have them join us and extend the reach of us. Because all of these interviews are here for you. Uh, They're here to help you make your projects and advance your careers, to do it cheaply, uh, faster, uh, you know, more efficiently. So uh, all we ask you that you do, is that you share this, give it away, because we are, you know, uh, post it on other walls, put it in Facebook, tweet about it, both live, during, and after the show, it uh, it helps us reach others. And by the way, as I said, all the shows are stored as podcasts at iTunes, so go get it, subscribe, there's over 200 uh, professional filmmaker interviews for you. You can download your favorite uh, device, and while you're there, give us a five-star rating. Rate us really high, because the more you rate us, the more uh, visible we become, and the more uh, we're able to reach other filmmakers and actors, people in front of and behind the camera. Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you. That is why I'm connecting you up with people who are making it happen. Now, without any further ado, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my guest today. Uh, his name is Phil Brock, as I told you. His company, he opened... Uh, Studio Talent 
group in 1995, the studio talent client list includes many actors whose professional careers have flourished under his guidance. Clients include Richard Mall uh, of Nightcart, Charlene Tilton, uh, a friend of mine, by the way, from Dallas. I like Charlene. She, uh, she's a great person. Uh, I, I, uh, Irwin Keyes, a tolerable truality, the Jeffersons, uh, the Flintstones, um, Brett Stimley. Uh, for the Watchmen, Transformers, Dark of the Moon. Uh, and Studio Talent Group also uh, represents a few screenwriters. Now, it is both a management firm and a state licensed agency. This format allows Phil and his associates to combine thorough career-shaping management with the legal credentials to submit actors on projects, negotiate, and sign contracts. Now, Phil had had a successful career as an actor, and he's a proud member of SAG, After uh, Equity, and the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, and today, Phil is on high demand as a speaker on the business of acting, so we're very lucky to have him here today. Uh, as a student, uh, the business of acting and the entertainment industry and in universities and uh, dramatic uh, academies around the country uh, will bring in Phil to listen to what he has to say. He's also the president of Talent Managers Association, a national organization that supports and educates managers in the entertainment industry. He's also a member of the Creative Coalition, a group of Hollywood executives dedicated to positive change in the world, and so much more. And we're lucky to have him with us today, so I'm going to be bringing Phil on. Hello, Phil. Are you there? Good morning. Yes, I'm still in my pajamas on the West Coast, but yes, I'm here. Good morning, Rex. <laughs> Good morning to you. Good morning. It's so good to have you here. Uh, you know, I'm very envious of your lifestyle from Foursquare, you, you, where you wine and dine and where you're going and your meetings. Uh, you know, I keep track on my Facebook wall or on your Facebook wall and on my on my Foursquare, on my phone, and uh, you're all over the place, man. <laughs> well, you know, it's a lot of long hours, so part of it is fun and part of it is uh, the other night I was having dinner and I was still on my iPad doing breakdowns and making sure my clients were being taken care of. So there's a lot of hours of work in the entertainment industry and, and absolutely no set hours. Well, I, uh, that is true. That is true. You you work until the work is done and uh, and then you keep going. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, we're going to talk today a little bit about... Uh, you know, acting and uh, the the career moves that that uh, success that people can do, um, but you started as an actor, so uh, you know, and I think anybody who has acted um, has more insight often into that nature of the beast, that career beast, uh, than people who don't. I hope so. Right. I, you know, I think it gives me a certain empathy, and, and I'm not sure. I, I think it gives me empathy. But it also sometimes makes me more critical. You know, if an actor decides, well, I don't want to go to my two auditions today, those things infuriate me because as an actor, I would go to every audition my agent sent me on. So there's empathy because I know the process and I know how difficult it is to go in and audition every day and how lucky every actor is to get a role. But I also know it sometimes can be infuriating, too, for, for both casting directors, agents, managers, all of us on this end. Well, there are some actors who, obviously, they're going to they're gonna audition many times during the week. And there are other actors who audition maybe once a week or once a month or once a quarter or a couple times a year. You know, as an agent, I mean, you know, you, you've got clients and you're trying to get them 
you know, jobs. I, can we clear something up, right? You you help to get them in the office, but they got to get the job. Yes, although there are times that I wish I was in that office. But, no, it's always up to them. And, and you know, I, I think actors are have to treat this profession the same as being a professional athlete. It is exactly the same for them. They have to work just as hard. They have to work every day at honing their craft. It's the same as being a professional basketball player or baseball player. They have to be out there. They have to be practicing. They have to be ready. When that call comes, they've got to be great in that room. Absolutely. You know, I always tell, I, I use a, a similar analogy. I've always said that, you know, nobody sends a, a professional team out without massive amounts of rehearsal called practice. And so they're working all the time and uh, and dedicated to making sure that the plays are smooth and, and they work on their contingency planning so that if uh, the other team does something, uh, they know how to respond. And I, I think a professional actor, I mean, you know, a play, you rehearse a play at least six weeks, you know, so that you hit your marks and you're in your lights and, and all that kind of stuff so that when opening night comes along, uh, you're, you know, you're ready. I think the same thing, what you just said, is, is so absolutely true. It's about auditions. It's about being prepared. It's about having your ducks in a row and, and making sure that you, that you work it as a business. And um, I, I think you so aptly said it. Yeah, you know, and it's not only important for actors to always be training. Uh, there are actors, I have actors who are 65, 70 years old who are still in class. It's not that they're trying to get better. But they are because every day your life experience, all the bad things that happen to you in life are good for your acting career. They're not bad for you. In, they're not good for you in life, but they are great for your acting career. And you have to always learn how to use those. You know, I, I would say that at 25, if I went on an audition, and then I went on that same audition today, I would hopefully be much, much better today than I was at 25. Because in life and in acting, you're always improving. But it's very important that actors remember that because I think two things frustrate me today a lot with with actors in general. One is that they're not trained as hard as they need to be. And when I'm in Europe talking to my English division, my English actors are trained and working much harder than my American actors. And second, American actors right now have decided that all they need to do is improv. And you mentioned something a second ago. You mentioned um, six weeks rehearsal for a play. Our actors have forgotten that it's very important in Los Angeles for them to be doing theater. They've forgotten that all television, all scripted television series, all movies are scripted, and improv, while it makes you nimble and will help you, is not the answer to being a good actor or a great actor. No, I, I appreciate that very much. I think it. I think it. I think it can help. It's an. It's an assist. I had a director the other day say because the people were professional, they could improv, but they had honed their careers. You know, over 30 years of of working. You know, in television series and working on Broadway and you know that kind of thing. So that when it came time to improv, they were able to do it. But but what you just said, you know, is is again is so accurate. You know the. The idea that I, I, it, it's a funny thing because you're not the only person who's mentioned the 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 uh, English actors the, or the Australian actors' dedication to the craft and training. Nick Mancuso, who's a friend on the show, has, has so often said, and as you have and others, that you know 
probably the reason why so many English people are working in uh, TV series today, you know, and displacing American actors and or Canadian actors working or Australian actors working in, in American television is the fact that they are just so superior in their training. I, and, and, you know, it absolutely, look at all my English actors go from theater to an industrial to class back to a play. Uh, onto a movie, onto TV, and they want to keep working every day. And a lot of our actors want to sit and wait for us to get them an audition. They have to be out there equally working as hard, and they have to know that if they're done in class and they're not working, it's frustrating for an agent or manager as well because we know that actors not going to be as ready as they should be. Can I ask you this, and I'll, and I'll preface it with a little bit of, of my experience, history back in uh, Hollywood when I was a teenager, um, and a younger teenager, I could do almost anything. I could almost walk into anybody's office and did frequently and say, you know what, I'd like to read, and, and oftentimes I'd get a reading or I'd get an appointment. And then about the mid-70s or early 80s, it seemed that the doors kind of slammed shut. It became more, uh, you could submit but uh, you know you had to submit yourself, and then eventually it got where you saw only agent submissions were allowed, and it seemed that, and then the rise of showcases, where suddenly there was the the noon luncheons with casting directors and things like that. But but it seemed like there was fewer and fewer things that an actor could do to keep the career in one's own hands, other than make sure you were doing theater. And and my experience of the of Hollywood in the 70s is limited. And uh, I did some theater, not as much as I should have or could have, but it didn't seem like there was that much theater either in L.A. at that time. Now, I imagine, I'm hoping it's a whole lot different. Well, first of all, there is, and this is a strange statistic, there are more actors on stage in an average night in Los Angeles than there are in New York, and that's every night. Now, there's more paying theater in New York, but there is more theater every night in Los Angeles in, in total than there is in New York. The difference is in New York, they do theater for the sake of doing theater, and that can be their career path. In Los Angeles, most actors do theater not as their career path, but only to be seen by agents and managers. So that is an an issue. Let's go back a second to the first part of your question. Access has definitely changed. Uh, When I was acting, yeah, you walked on a lot. I would make an appointment or I would make a reservation at the Paramount Cafe, and then I would be on the lawn. I'd walk around every casting director's office. It's a totally right. different world now. 9-11 really killed that because after 9-11, every single office decided that they had to be very secure. And, you know, the other part of that is, Rex, and there are a lot more actors now than there were then. There are a lot more people in Los Angeles pursuing the Hollywood dream. And that dream, a lot of times, is unrealistic. The goal for every actor listening to this should not be to be a star. The goal should be simply to be a working actor. And if you could say on your tombstone, Rex, that simply five words, I was a working actor, then you've succeeded in your career path. You know, I was talking to an actor the other day who said, and I love this, I was on a beach walk with one of my actors who said, well, you know, my goal is to get my medical insurance. And then my goal two years after that is to get my second-tier medical insurance. Uh-huh. And I, I, I wanted to hug him right there because right. that should be an actor's goal. 
is just to be a working actor, have a career in this. Do you think, and I'm going to ask uh, maybe a political question, do you think that the change between SAG and AFTER and what's happened with nighttime television has has, uh, benefited or or hurt uh, that ability? I mean, some people argue that because there are two unions that, you know, if I do a lot of work in AFTER and I get close to getting my medical, but I don't get enough to get it, uh, or same with SAG, I get enough, but I don't get close, that, that ultimately I may not get what I'm going for because I've got two different places you know two different places I'm paying into there has to be a merger uh, that that is a fact and I think that's finally realized the previous SAG administration um, was more concerned with their ego and leaving a legacy than looking at realities of the business as long as there are two unions every single actor in the business suffers so there has to be one union because it's very, very difficult for actors to get their pension, to have a career in this with two unions, and it's great for producers because they can pit the unions against each other. I, very strongly, has a SAG after equity member, has a talent manager, has a California licensed agent. I want a merger to occur. Uh, That's that sound. I mean, that is very sound. Let me ask you this as well. Because we, we were going back to, and I'm and I'm and I'm changing the topic, but I'm going back to what you said about New York and, and L.A. I have found, in my experience, when I was in L.A., you know, we wanted to be movie stars and TV stars, and at one time, you know, heavily SAG influenced, we couldn't do extra work uh, because you were either an extra or you're an actor, and if you were an actor, a SAG actor, and you did extra work, it was it was uh, beneath you. Uh, but in New York, at the same time, you, I would go out to New York, and they'd say, what are you doing? And if you said, well, I'm doing extra work, they'd go, great, man, go for it. You know, Make your career happen. Or likewise, if you said, I'm an actor, and you were a waiter in a restaurant in uh, in New York, they seem to say, cool, you know, pursue your dreams, and, and someday you'll make it. You know, you'll be on stage or you'll be on television. Uh, keep waiting tables in the meantime and, and, and train. Or in L.A., if you were a waiter in a restaurant and somebody said, what do you do? You said, I'm an actor. They go, well, when's the last job you had? You know, you're actually a waiter. <laughs> you're not an actor. I had, yeah, I had one of my, it's funny, one of my actors is a Tony Award winner on Broadway. And he is an inveterate, inveterate skirt chaser. And we were on Montana Avenue one day in Santa Monica. He ran across the street, embarrassed the heck out of me, because he ran across the street to chase after this blonde and talked to her. By the time I caught up to him, she asked him what he did. And it was interesting. He said, I'm an actor, but I'm also an investment counselor or something. And I said, wait a minute. You've been an actor for almost 30 years. That's your career. You're not doing anything else. He said, yes, but in L.A., if I just tell them I'm an actor, they assume I'm not working. <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> and, and, you know, so let me go back to the first part of your 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 statement. I think every young actor, there's nothing wrong with doing extra work if they're not the extra who sits around on a chair and talks to the other extras. If they're an extra who watches the DP on a set, I think that's great. You can learn by being on a set. But everybody who's doing extra work, who's listening out there, needs to understand you're doing extra work for a goal. And the goal is to become that actor who's not an extra. So it's great for you to get experience. It's sort of like interning. I have I don't see anything wrong with it at all. As long as it never takes away from one of your real auditions, 
do extra work if you need to. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, you know, when it comes to uh, having an agent, what can an actor do to help you? In other words, what do they need to know uh, to help you get them the auditions? And then in a moment, I want to ask you about the audition process itself. But Okay. Uh, repeat your question for me again. I, I what can an actor do to help you book them? Uh, go to St. Monica's with me on a Sunday morning at 930. Uh, uh-huh. Prayer always helps. Uh, you know, look at I want actors who are obviously immensely talented. I want actors who have great personalities. I want actors who are who are keyed on marketing themselves. I want actors who are, as I already said, training. So I'm going to repeat that. They're training, training, training. I, I want actors who have great, wonderful headshots who are staying current on trends in the industry, who can talk to any agent, any manager, any producer, any director in the supermarket about Hollywood, and and even more importantly, about what's happening in the world. And and I think, look, Shelley Winters once said, you're not an actor unless you read the newspaper every day. I think that's extremely true. Every actor needs to be well-versed on current events of the world as well as acting events. And actors who just live in a bubble or worried about what party is tonight in Hollywood, that's a problem. So I want actors who are, you know, look at the best, the best date any of you could have is a date where you have three hours, you can just talk and never be bored and realize that time has just slipped by because you're having such a great time. Well, as an actor, that's your job. And as an actor... To really, really develop relationships and become a great actor, you have to be someone that's very conversant in the world. Your job as an actor is to communicate. And, and, I, and actors, when they come into my office to audition, to interview, you want to have that bond, that spark, that personality, as well as their ability. Well, that's excellent advice. Excellent. Absolutely. So, so um, when it, it's too often, I mean, when it, somebody does an audition a lot, you know, somebody who auditions frequently is probably used to the process and 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 knows the, you know, the protocol and and what to do and 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 how to further their uh, their career. But the person who auditions less frequently or who maybe outside of Hollywood or you know whatever doesn't have access to the same, you know, daily uh, opportunities that the L.A. or New York actors may have. Um, what advice do you have for them? What do they need to know when they walk into that office? Because when I when I grew up in Hollywood, you know, we we thought casting directors were the enemy. They were the gatekeepers. They were keeping us out. We now I have so many casting directors who are friends of mine today, and I and I know that that's not true, you know, but but the perception of the actor and the outside certainly could could think of it that way. Same thing with producers or directors. I mean, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how intimidated I was by so many of the same people who, who are my friends today. And and so as a young actor, and by young I don't mean young in age, I mean young in experience, as a young actor, 
who's who's starting out or, or somebody who's been in it for a while but not having as many interviews as they would like, what do they need to know about going into an office and connecting with the people there? How do they create that rapport? Or how do they have a winning personality to begin with? I mean, what you know, what you can take training to be a good actor, but how do you, what what should they do to have that uh, conversant, wonderful personality that that sparks interest in others? I don't know if that's something that can be taught. I think I think you find that by the time you're in high school, you know, you are someone who either really loves other people and loves to learn about other people, and you know, look at the best part of of or actually, let me change that. You know, if you're an egotistic actor, which I'm sure you weren't, Rex. But oh, no, no, I know, was. If, I was. <laughs> okay. Well, then you know that on a set, when you actually, after the editor's done and you saw the finished product, it was always nice to see that even when the other actor was talking, that your face got featured as a listener. Uh-huh. Well, you know, that, that's a huge thing in real life, too. It's not always about talking. It's about, always about being empathetic and being a good listener. And I don't know if you can teach conversation skills, but you can teach people to be empathetic. You can teach people to be good listeners. You can teach people to sit and absorb what someone else is saying and pay attention to them. And and I I think that's part of what's important. Um, Each and every time that you talk to anyone is actually listening. Fair enough, fair enough. Let me go let me go back to something because one of your listeners online just said, does, does Phil think an actor needs to live in L.A. to make it? And I'm in your online chat room as well, right? Yes. And, and you know, the answer is be the king of your city or the queen of your city. You don't have to be in L.A., quote, unquote, to make it. It depends what your idea of making it is. Isn't first and foremost one of the things that's very, very important, owning your city. Be the best actor you can in Cincinnati, in Louisville, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Be that actor who is conquering your city. Then look at a bigger market. You know, actors will say, well, I can't get work in my city. Well, if you can't get any work in your city, I think that's a problem. You absolutely have to be an actor who owns your city, who's doing all the theater you can, the web series. Every city has a college. Every city has some acting work. Now, look it. If you're just looking for a million dollars a picture and you want that big mansion, yes, you have to come to New York, London, or Los Angeles. But, you know, uh, one of my staff members, one of our long-term managers' sisters, does community theater throughout Southern California. She has no agent. We don't represent her. She has no manager. But, you know, she's been working for 20 years. She never auditions anymore. She goes from theater to theater, and she loves it. She has a full-time job during the day and does theater all the time. Well, you know something? That can be enough. So you don't always have to look to Los Angeles. And and a definition of making it doesn't have to be that million-dollar contract. It has to be doing what you love. Um, absolutely. Now, I, but I got to ask you this. I, I, I have to ask you this, and that is, there are those people whose goal and desire is to be an actor, and they're twelve, fifteen, eighteen, twenty-five, thirty. They're single. 
some are some are newlyweds or married. Some now are 65, 75 years old, you know, whatever, uh, and and all in between. But some are married and have kids, and some aren't. I mean, when I was a single guy in L.A., uh, pursuing an acting career was not easy, but it was easier than it would be as a father and a parent or as a divorced single mom or a divorced single dad or something like that. So, so for the people who have families and are trying to make ends meet, who, what kind of what kind of tips or suggestions might you have for them? I mean, should they just give it all up or or do the best they can with what they got? And you know, because I mean, doing a play, like if you're a single mom or dad, doing a play is a is a tough commitment. You got to find a babysitter or whatever. So, any any words of advice for those people? Yeah, I, I think that you know, for a lot of my married actors, their relationships make it easier for them to be a good actor, not harder, uh-huh. because they have someone else who can help support them and support their career dreams. They don't have to go out and look for their next date that night. They have someone at home to come home to. I don't think that's a detriment. I think it could be positive. You know, the detriment is, the detriment is being a broke actor. And the the adage about, well, geez, you know, you're supposed to suffer for your craft. I hate to say it, that's a problem. Because unless you can afford classes, unless you can afford a nice place to live, unless you can have a life, too. Remember, you're only auditioning once or twice a day if you're lucky. Once or twice a week, once or twice a month if you're unlucky. You know, you're living 24 hours a day. So you've got to have the resources to live to have acting classes. Acting is not a cheap sport. It is by no means basketball. It's closer to golf because you have to have expensive golf clubs. You have to have your expensive acting lessons. You've got to have your headshots. If you're an actor who's going to be broke, it's a problem. So honestly, if you're married, if you're in a great relationship where you have two incomes, it'll be easier for you to be successful as an actor. Very cool. So we're coming up on that part of uh, the show where uh, we're about to take a break. Um, before that, I want to I want to address something that was said in the uh, chat room. Uh, Gaffer girls, uh, you know, oftentimes I, I deprecate myself. I you know I talk about you know either having a hot head as a young man or an actor or whatever, and uh, kindly they said, well we we don't know that guy. We've never seen that. Uh, the reason for that is, is it, it, let me answer it this way. When I was a young youngster as an actor, all I thought about, I lived, eat, breathe, drink, and you know, and and smoked and did acting. I mean, that was it. There was nothing else to my life. If I wasn't working, I wasn't working, and I was depressed. Uh, you know, so I, I, I was consumed, and I was I was convinced that you had to be a James Dean or a Monty Clift or a Marlon Brando. You had to suffer for your art. You had to, you know. And, uh, and so w- when you ask why you haven't seen that guy, it's because at some point. In my earlier life, uh, after I was about 25 or so, I, I woke up. I realized that what was more important was having a life, and, and uh, that the first goal in life was life and relationships and the people around us and, and enjoying life and living fully and being an actor, not the other way around. So uh, so if that answers your question, Gaffer Girls, um, and, that, and that's why I, I can look back on those days and go, you know, I was stupid or I was a hothead or I didn't pay attention. Um, uh, because I think I think that uh, what Phil you're saying is is so important to people, you know, to listen to 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 have a full life, you know, to to inspire yourself as well as others, you know, to connect, you know, and 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 to be a full person, 
and 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 also to, to you know to have your relationships and to have a support system and to have you know finances and everything all in real and treat the business like a business and get your training and do your thing and and uh, you know is is incredibly valuable information for all of us to uh, take into account. And I really liked what you said about owning your own city wherever you are because a lot of actors do ask that. You know, they go, well, I'm, I am in this town or I am outside and, I, you know, what do I do? Um, it was a very valuable, very wonderful advice, Phil. I appreciate that. We are at that point now to take a break, and um, I, I'm going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Okay. All right, you're listening to RexSykes.com. That's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. It's the official website of Rex Sykes Movie Beat. This interview and all interviews are stored there in the interviews blog and the biography pages contain the links for all the interviews. They're also available as podcasts at iTunes Store. Please go subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, rate them. Give us a really good rating. I think that would be fantastic. All right, because when you do, when you leave comments, when you follow us, when you friend us right there at Blog Talk Radio, which you can do right now as you're listening, when you leave comments, you extend the reach of Rex Sykes movie beat to others, filmmakers and fans and friends who may not have yet heard about the show. And I really appreciate it. My guests really appreciate it when you reach out in that fashion. You can tweet live right now or put it in your Facebook wall. Now, having said all that, I sure appreciate you being here. Let me tell you a little bit about my upcoming guests. Uh, my next guest on the uh, the well, coming up, I think on the first of August will be Dr. Barry Sangru. Again, he'll be talking about Transformers 3D. Uh, he's the uh, founder of Legend 3D and 3D conversion to colorization process. So uh, he'll be coming up. Peter Marshall will continue with our director's series on the third of August, and after that, on the tenth, will be John. Uh, sorry, Paul Provenza. He's a director, actor, writer, comic author. I mean, you name it, Paul has done it. He's got a great show on Showtime right now. If you haven't seen it, it's season two of The Green Room. It's hysterical. you got to see it. Peter Pastorelli is a producer, uh, a friend. He's uh, busy uh, uh, wrapping up a feature right now, so he'll be joining us in August. Joke and Biagio are the legendary producers of the Scream Queens reality TV show. They've got a new one, Dying to Do Letterman, coming up, and they will join us. And then Gary Marsh, uh, the founder of Breakdown Services and Actors Access. Uh, and that will take us through August. There's some more in the pike that I haven't yet met. Uh, Helen McCready, I believe, is coming back. Jack, director Jack Perez is coming back. So uh, you're going to want to stay tuned for uh, the rest of my fine guests. So uh, without any further ado, let's get back to uh, Mr. Phil Brock. And again, Phil, I, I'm so glad that you're here. And everything you're saying is absolutely valuable and very useful for all of us uh, who are actors, but not only actors. I mean, I think anybody in the career, because agents, I mean, you're an actor's agent and a manager, but agents represent writers, they represent uh, crew, directors, producers, they represent grips. I mean, everybody has agents nowadays. <laughs> so uh, knowing how to work with an agent, I think, is, is incredibly that's why I asked the question before. What can what can I or what can an actor do to assist you in helping them in their career? And I think whether it's a, a writer or an actor, I, I still it's the same thing. It's be very very um, aggressive in your marketing. You know, actors need to remember something because there's this whole mystique about the industry. It's an art. It's also a business, and, and I think all of you need to remember that. It is indeed a business. And, you know, I tell people when I'm lecturing in college, the first thing I start off with is you are CEO, chief executive officer of your corporation, of your company. So if it's Rex Sykes and his acting career, it's Sykes Incorporated. And Rex Sykes is the CEO of his company. If he hires a manager, 
the manager will become COO, chief operating officer of his company. If he hires agents, the agents will become vice presidents of his company. So I've just given you an executive flowchart. Now, there's something very important in that flowchart. Rex Sykes Incorporated has one product, Rex Sykes, and they want to make sure Rex Sykes is, without a doubt, the best product on the market because otherwise Rex Sykes CEO will have to declare bankruptcy and the COO and the vice presidents who are all working on spec, they all work without pay until there's a booking, all those people will quit and go work for someone else where they believe there's more potential. And, and lastly, without belaboring that point too long, remember this, I, you know, I use this analogy all the time. All of you use, I hope, toothpaste at one time or another in your lives, um, unless you're in England, in which case it's a lot less. But if you're using toothpaste, every year what does Crest do? They come out with a new improved toothpaste, don't they? Now there's Crest 3D. There's nighttime toothpaste. There's morning toothpaste. There's different flavors. One will help restore your enamel. One will clean off the discoloration from the coffee I'm drinking right now. All those things. Well, you know, you're an actor. You have to do exactly the same thing. You have to reinvent yourself every year or two. You have to become new and improved all the time as an actor. Wow, it's a lot of work, huh? Yeah, absolutely. It's not easy, and it's not just about the art. Strangely enough, they don't call it show art. They call it show business. And, and you know, even when you were back in the Middle Ages, if it was Rex Sykes or Phil Brock, strolling across the land of Ireland in the 1300s or 1400s and entertain and in town square, we'd all have our hat out trying to get some money to keep going so we could make it to the next town. Well, actors are still doing that today, just in a different market bag. But, you know, it is so true. I mean, when when I was coming up in the in the 70s as a teenager, the, the, it, the people I hung around with, it's, it, one thing, it's a very interesting comment that, that your income is the average of the five closest people around you is is a business thing. So your five closest friends, whatever they're making, it's likely that yours is the average of all five of them. So if you've got really rich friends, you know, you're you're making more money. If you've got really poor friends, you're probably making less money. So but this but the it seemed to be that the prevailing wisdom in the seventies was the the notion and, and, and I know that there were people that didn't feel this way. but but the people I surrounded myself with seemed to be the people who you know, you've got to suffer for your art, and we didn't know anything about the business side of it. I mean, I was so, uh, I always say, you know, I was stuck with with RC, RCV vision, this rectal canal vision. I had my head so firmly up my own butt when it came to the business side of it as a young man that I, I couldn't see anything. But but as I got older, I began to realize that it really was business. It was actually business first because it was about bringing a product. If the product was ready, meaning if you were trained and you were talented and you had all your ducks in a row, then 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 the whole key was to market it in the same way that you market a pair of shoes or soap or anything else. You know, you have to get the product out there you know, to an audience and you have to figure out your distribution channels to do that, you know, and, and who's going to help you and who, you know, who your vendors are and your suppliers. Um, it, it, it really did change the way, you know, uh, I approached the business, you know, was to first approach it as a business and, and, and actually nothing else. And when I did, then, then art had its rightful place. 
And, and that's absolutely true. I look at it, it's still about the art. It's still about communicating your uh-huh. vision to people. It's still about communicating a writer's vision. All that's very important. But it really is the business of actors. If you want to succeed, whether you're in Atlanta, Columbus, Ohio, Omaha, Nebraska, or Los Angeles, you have to remember there's still a business aspect. That means you have to be a good marketer. You have to be a, have a great product, and you have to believe in that product. You know, if you're an actor and you don't really believe in yourself, that's a problem. Uh, excellent point. Excellent point. I, I have a question uh, from the chat room, and uh, it's from April. She asked this question, and I, I know we're going to touch on this just briefly, but I'm going to ask the same question for both. She says, what about screenwriters? You know, we know actors have agents, you know, and screenwriters, but how do you get an agent to read a script? Now, I know part of your business, your, your associate, is is the screenwriting division, but but uh, I, I think that's a fair question. But the but the equally fair question for actors is, is how do you get an agent these days? What What's what's the, the right way to go about that? Well, you know, screenwriters are the only people who are in more trouble than actors every day. I think I read a statistic a couple of years ago that there's over 500,000 500, registered scripts at the WGA that are unsold. That Everyone is a writer, and that's a problem. Look at, you know, there are pitch summits, there are pitch fests that people can go to in Los Angeles and other cities. Uh, you have to do me a favor if you're writing. Don't be derivative. Come up with something really original. And know that your script could take five or ten years to be sold. That's okay. It really is. It's not instantaneous. But, you know, develop a good log line. Uh, make sure that people see your log line. Make, and look, at you can't ensure that people are going to see it because you never have any face-to-face contact with people. But, you know, keep mailing it. Keep changing your marketing system. Keep playing with it. Find a way to do it. Hey, Make it into a, a quick short. Start off with a short. There was the uh, the grand prize, grand jury prize winner at Sundance this year was made by an NYU student a year ago as a short. He brought it to Sundance without uh, any kind of exhibition or representation. Someone saw it, loved it. They put up money to make it into a movie, came back to Sundance this year, and it got sold. And, and that's what can happen. So you have to figure it out. It's, I know it's a lot tougher because at least an actor gets to face their accuser, if you will, from time to time. Writers don't get to do that. And I get probably, I think Catherine in my office probably gets 20 to 30 uh, log lines a day. If you're interested in literary representation with Studio Talent Group, uh, you're welcome to email Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, at studiotalentgroup.com. That's Catherine at studiotalentgroup.com and bombard her. And look at if you target an agent or a manager that you like, whether it be for acting or writing, keep after them. Even if they ignore you 10 times, the 11th time they may open their email field, now they know you, and then they'll open your submission and they'll start talking to you. And that's really yeah. all you want. And, and by the way, one last thing on that. You know, these days, not only can you make your own material easier than ever before, because of the web, because of the the lower price of cameras, because of everything else. But you can also market yourself much easier as well. And you can market yourself through Facebook, through Twitter. For instance, Rex, you know that I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Any of your listeners can always, always hook up with me on Twitter at STG 
A-C-T-O-R. That's S-T-G-A-C-T-O-R on Twitter. Facebook at Phil Brock. And let me repeat the Catherine Studio Talent Group because I just saw someone in the yep. chat room got it wrong. It's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N at studiotalentgroup.com. And that's the literary rep in our company. And she also reps our celebrities um, for acting work as well. So, but you could, you know, because of the fact that I'm on Twitter and Facebook, people can hit me all the time. And we open, I open my Twitter up at least, at least once or twice a week just for actors to ask me questions from anywhere in the nation. And I'm really easy about that. So, you're, you know, actors, keep in touch with me. And look at other agents, managers, and cast directors who are on Twitter and Facebook. And keep setting your log lines out. Keep finding fun ways to market. There, there is a way because people do get great scripts made, and sometimes not so great scripts, but they do get made every year. That's awesome. Um, there are a lot of differences between – I want to make sure that I got the address right um, – so it's Catherine K A T H R Y N at studiotalentgroup.com. Yes. All right. And I just posted uh, it on your site as well. Yeah, yeah, and I and I had done that I think uh too, but I wanted to make sure I had it correct. Uh there's a lot of differences. Let, let let's discuss this too. Now we've got about twenty minutes on the outside, maybe, actually maybe about thirty minutes on the outside. Uh, 15, 15, or 25 minutes on the outside uh, here, uh, but the the um, the difference between a manager and an agent, and in what they do, how they service an actor, um, and uh, you know what they bring to the table for the performer, and then also I, I kind of want to talk about there's a big difference between you know being an actor in Los Angeles with an agent where things are, are regulated and, and there are laws and having agents in other states where uh, agents here typically take 20% from the performer. They also take 20% from the, uh, the, the producer. Um, there are no laws really regulating anybody about what they can or cannot do. Oftentimes the agents cast things in their own office. Uh, you know, they may act as managers. They can tell you to go to so-and-so, get their headshots from this person, or you should go to this talent. You know, very different from from L.A. And, and can you address uh, both managers versus agents and then agents in L.A. versus agents around the country? Wow. Okay, so first of all, I, you know, my characterization of an agent, and, and agents who listen to this, please don't get offended, uh, I always look at it as if we're all walking into Best Buy right now to buy a computer. The person that talks to me about the computer in the aisles, that's the manager. The person that rings up the sale at the cash register, that's an agent. That's the easy way of saying that, I think, a lot of times. So that's one way that I would characterize it. Now, that's a very broad, broad brushstroke. So I work with agents in the city of L.A., who I think are work just as well as managers. And, and if you divide, you know, managers in Los Angeles receive 15% commission. Agents receive 10% commission. Sounds like a lot, except that if they're increasing the amount of work for you and they're helping you, then 25%, 15% or 10% isn't really all that much in the long run. So a manager's job is to be, if you will, in today's vernacular, your Wikipedia of knowledge, 
as well as be the coordinator of your team, to work with your agents, to work with casting for you, to be the sounding board about whether or not you should do a certain project or not. That's the manager's first responsibility. My office goes a lot farther because we submit commercially television, film, theater. We have a packaging department, and we have a literary department as well. That's different than a lot of managers. All right, so we do a little bit more. I, you know, I'm always perturbed when I hear that agents are taking unlimited amounts of compensation and there's not uniform rules around the nation. So first of all, in California, agents are licensed by the state of California. Managers are not. But the Talent Managers Association represents managers who have agreed to a very strict code of ethics, who have been vetted by references from agents, references from casting directors, have to be in business for um, a certain length of time before they're even considered for membership. And that's one way to go to talentmanagers.org. That's one way of ensuring that the manager at least has some ethical standards. Now, we represent managers in New York as well as Los Angeles. The rest of the country, we're trying to bring more managers under our jurisdiction as well. And I can tell you that as an organization, we're extremely concerned anywhere in the nation where ethics, and talent representation are not followed closely. And I'm emphatic about making sure actors are treated equitably and honestly throughout the United States. I'm in favor of managers, and some of my fellow managers will want to kill me right now. Luckily, I'm behind locked doors and a gated complex. <laughs> but they will want to kill me because I believe all managers should be licensed as well by the state of California, have to be bonded, have to be fingerprinted, and have to follow ethical standards whether they're a member of the TMA or not. In New York City, we have a, now a New York division, and we are working with the DAs and the city attorneys in New York to make sure as much as we can that, that actors are treated fairly, honestly, and protected in New York as well. And encourage, encourage your manager in any city you are to call the TMA Talk to me because we would be happy to have them as members as long as they're honest, forthright with clients, treat them fairly with a fair commission status. And we believe fair commission for managers is 15%, period, across the nation. Wow, very cool. Very cool. And... Now, with the the agents, for example, like I said, you know, they they don't sign with SAG in many cases because they don't have enough SAG work. So they're they're non-union, they're not affiliated, you know, with the Screen Actors Guild. So they aren't they aren't required to uh, adhere to any of the you know legislation around what agents can do within the state uh, or, or or by Screen Actors Guild. So. Uh, they're just free to do, you know, charge whatever they want, frankly. But you're also free to not accept work from that agent or manager. And and look at that manager or agent, whether it be in Minnesota or Alabama, if no actors will be represented by them, they'll be out of business. And the manager or agent who's being fair, being honest, being equitable, doesn't have a casting couch, doesn't take unfair commission, 
those agents and managers will prosper. It's up to actors. Don't be the look at. Don't get representation just because it's there. Get representation that you believe really believes in you, knows your ability, knows you, and wants to work with you for the long haul, and does not does not does not feel you're a can of Campbell's soup. You're all individuals, wow. and you need to be treated that way, actors. You absolutely need to be treated that way. Sorry, I'm being animated, but I, I I can't emphasize that enough. It is always your choice. Don't just rush in because someone says yes. That's great for a one night stand. That's not good for a relationship. And your manager agent should be a long term relationship. Jack Nicholson has the same agent he started his career with. Fantastic. Absolutely. Well, no, and, and I, I'm glad that you're being adamant and animated. I, I think it's important, and I want to ask something else. There are a lot of places out there, you know, people go to Craigslist nowadays, and there's, I mean, there are a lot of places to try and find work, and occasionally they'll come up against something and they'll say, you know, we want you to, you know, to succeed, or we're for actors, or, or we're casting this movie, or, or some big places casting, and what it turns out to be is uh, an agency of sorts, oftentimes a modeling agency or something like that, where they, they say, okay, now that you, now sign up, and, and it's, the classes are, you know, $2,000, and it's for three months or whatever, and we'll make you a star, and we'll represent you. And those are those are, those are are rampant. We've got three or four of them here in, in the area. And, you know, I'm going to interrupt you right there, because any agent or manager who tries to sign you up and tell you, here's where you have to go for headshots, here's the acting classes you have to take, and there's no choice in the matter, and if the price doesn't sound right and it smells, well, you shouldn't be there. So look at the JRP places, the, the uh, Barbizons. All those schools are not going to help you become a working actor. In every city, there's always a great theater program, a great acting class somewhere. If you're in Minneapolis, the Guthrie, there are SAG divisions in almost every city. You can call a legitimate agent and ask them for their acting device. Look, at you can read chat boards. You, there are so many ways to find legitimate things, and I hate when I see children especially and teenagers taken advantage of because people pray on their the instinct just to have them succeed. And and if you're spending two thousand or three thousand dollars in a lump sum on an acting class, on photos, that's wrong. It should never be done. It shouldn't it's not legal. Well it may be legal, but it's not moral. And as an actor you have to have a high moral compass. As a person in society, as a businessman, as CEO of your company, you need to have a high moral compass. So look it. If someone's asking that, just say no. If someone takes you to a hotel room and says, "Hey, we're only going to take so many people, but we want everyone to come on stage and and talk about yourself for a minute, and we're only going to take the best," guarantee they're calling everyone in the room and they're cold calling and cold selling. The person who walks up to you on the street in a mall in Des Moines, Iowa, I guarantee. They're not really going to discover you for film or TV. They're discovering you for a way to make a quick buck off you. Wow. <laughs> so actors, beware. 
and be wary and uh, be savvy and be smart and uh, use your brain and uh, and uh, and uh, I love what you said before about find someone that you want to work with who you think will work in your best interest and pursue them. Don't stalk them, but 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 make a reasonable attempt to to contact them and keep at it. You know, and do not stalk them. However, you know, can I tell you, I've turned down people who come in my office, they've auditioned, and we've said, go back and get more training. And I have an actor right now who just, he just booked another national commercial. He was reoccurring on two TV shows last year. And uh, this actor came into my office, said he hated me, absolutely hated me after the audition because I said, you know, you have a great face, you're a great type, but you're not ready. He said for the next six months, every audition he went to, my face was emblazoned on the side. He was going to prove me wrong. And six months later, he hadn't been booking. He finally went to an acting class that I recommended. And he walked back into our office probably a year later and said, I want to audition for him. I want to come back in right now and I want to audition. I don't want an appointment. I just want to audition. And you know something? I appreciate that moxie. So Uh I had him come in and audition. He auditioned. We took him. He's been working ever since. He told me that when he came into audition, it didn't. He wanted me to say yes, and then he was going to turn around and tell me to f off because he just wanted to prove that he was better than that. But you know what? Huh. He's he's working. He's a great guy. He's a wonderful actor. I'm so happy he's on my roster. But you know what? I'm very happy I didn't say yes the first time because he really wasn't ready to win. And Honestly, bottom line, I want my actors ready to win. Well, that's very cool. That's that's very cool. Now, I, we have a few minutes left. We've got maybe ten minutes on the outside. So let's let's do this. I know there are other things you want to talk about. Actors giving back and what they can do. Well, I guess I could. I, you know, <laughs> part 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 of no, I'm just kidding. Part of my life, I think that's really important is that you know. Yes, I'm president of the Talent Managers Association. I'm in my 17th year of studio talent, and, and at the risk of patting myself on the back, which I'm really not doing, I've been involved with the Boys and Girls Clubs. At that time, it was the Boys Clubs. When I, starting when I was 11 years old, I started going to that Boys Club because my parents were in a bitter divorce. They were beating each other up, and my dad dropped me off to the Boys Club. At that time, it was $2.50 a year. And I started going there. Now, I've been president of their council for years. I've helped out at that club. I'm 57 years old now. I put on a charity auction for the Boys and Girls Club every October. I'll try and raise $400,000 for them in October. It feels so good to give back. It feels so good to pay it forward. I'm, I'm vice chair of the Recreation and Parks Commission in Santa Monica. We have a great new park about to open next year. I'm in charge. I'm the bike czar for the city, so I'm putting everything I have into making sure we have bike sharing, which they have in Minneapolis, they have in Madison, Wisconsin, they have in Denver, Colorado, and other, many other cities. We're going to have it in Santa Monica in 18 months. We're adding new bike lanes. I'm vice president of the State Recreation and Parks Commission. You know, I just did a charity auction for a youth and family center in Santa Monica and emceed it. I can't tell you so has I can't tell you how important it is for all of you actors and all of you writers to give back 
it, it's so easy as an actor to become narcissistic to every time you pass a mirror, just look in that mirror. You know, at 2 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning, you come out of the bar, and you've been a bar back for the night, and you smell like liquor, but you didn't get to drink any of it. You're just hoping some of it is absorbed by osmosis. I, I can't tell you how important it is for you to have taught someone how to read that day, to help out somewhere, to give someone a helping hand. I, I think it's so important not to give someone a hand out, but to give someone a hand up, to help someone achieve something in life. You have, each of you, as actors and writers, you found your voice. Use that voice to help others. Wow. No, that's very, very, very apt, very true. And I think sometimes people think that they have to wait until they get a certain uh, stature or a certain affluence or something before they can begin helping, and they really don't. They can they can start immediately with where they are and with who's around them. Mike Glancy, I just want you to know, you know, what he mentioned on your website right now, what if Steven Spielberg spots you in a mall? And you know what? What's interesting is I always tell my actors, if you're in Los Angeles and you're sitting at your house in the San Fernando Valley, Steven Spielberg is not walking around the valley knocking on doors asking if you're an actor. You've <laughs> got to be out there. You've got to be out there working to make sure you succeed. Go ahead. Sorry about that. No, no, I know. It's, no, it's it's a true point. Uh, it, it's, it's a very good point. So, um, uh, one of the things that that I really like uh, about you, Phil, is is uh, is that um, you know when I was in LA with my agent and stuff, you know we would meet at Hamburger Hamlet or we'd meet at these you know a few places or in the office or we'd go out to Dantana's or something, you know. But I uh, so often I see you on your beach walk with actors, you know, or your uh, you know or your Foursquare or something that you're out you know along, and I just go. You know, having being an ex Los Angelino and in uh, one of my favorite places, Santa Monica. You know, I, I'm just so envious of these actors who get to walk uh, along the western edge of the United States with you and and discuss acting and career and life. I think that is so cool. Oh, thank you. I, you know, uh, you know that idea came up at the start of the recession. Actors used to meet me for lunch every day, and they would buy lunch for myself and maybe some of my staff. And, and that was all well and good because we got free lunch. But you know what was really important? I looked at it and said, wait a minute, my actors don't have the money to buy me lunch. They're going to feel uncomfortable if I say, let's split. So I live a block off the beach in Santa Monica, California, and I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we meet at 8.30 a.m. at my house and take an hour and a half to two-hour walk along the beach in Santa Monica? And it gets me out from my office, and it gets them to open up about themselves, their dreams, their aspirations. We talk about everything, and we have a freewheeling discussion. And you know something? I think it's so beneficial for my actors. We also tell my actors, look, they can bring me home for dinner if they want. They can <laughs> meet me for lunch. They can. We can go to a screening. Any way that we can communicate, every actor is new with us, we tell them right off the top of the bat, they have to meet with me once a month for the first six months of their client because personal contact, we have to know them. And every time we sign an actor, they have to sit down with the entire staff for 20 questions. 
so that everyone gets a chance to see their personality, to know about them. Because I learn so much about actors every time I take the time to really get to know them. And it helps me book things. It absolutely helps me book book them on different jobs. Yeah, it's very cool. You know, there's there's another component just to walking, and you and you you said it, you touched on it. But I mean, it really is that freeing up. You know, it's it's people tend to get stuck, or if they're stuck and if they're seated, uh, just the whole mind thing is is the people can perpetuate their problems. But get them walking, get them moving, get the body oxygenated. It frees up the it frees up the whole, you know, the vehicle. To, to be more expressive and to be more open. So to, to take those walks and obviously to take them where, you know, all those wonderful negative ions are, um, I, I think is, is just a, a wonderful thing. And what you just said there about meeting once a month, you know, for at least the first six months so that you get to know uh, the, the talent that, that you're representing is an awesome thing. I can't tell you how many agents I've had in my past, and I, I, I'll, I'll share this, but in my past I've had lots of agents who have come in, they've liked me, I, I've read for them, and then, and then, you know, I got some interviews here or there, but uh, you know, there was I, I've had one person who's been a manager for 35 years, and and a great person, and and we started with an agent relationship, um, but uh, you know, apart from that, you know, you would just kind of go in, and you just were kind of known, and and you'd call or you sometimes met, but they didn't they didn't have the the breadth of knowing me, or you know, as as you know your clients, which I think is just outstanding. Um, and 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 frankly, uh, about three or four times the agents split up. They imploded. They or they exploded. They went separate ways. And every time in my in my past history, I chose to go with the wrong person <laughs> of the of the agency. The the other yeah. one went well and w- succeeded. And the one I went with, you know, ended up fizzling and dropping just because we didn't know each other. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I didn't know enough about them either. Well, you know, and and really. <laughs> Absolutely true. And, you know, here's a, something that happened several years ago. One of my actors was walking to his agent's office through the parking garage. His agent's walking the other way. His agent looks at him and sort of, you could, he says he could see he was sort of puzzled. God, I know that actor. <laughs> and he sort of said hi and kept walking. My actor was almost ready to cry. My actor called my office and was just dumbfounded, flummoxed, as they would say, and um, dropped that agent that day said, well, look, at if I walk by that agent and the agent doesn't know me by name and can't say hi to me, then he doesn't know me enough to work on my career path. Right. And that's really important. I have a, a, do you have time for a three-minute story, two, two and a half-minute story? Absolutely, okay, so. and then we'll, we'll close out after that. But let me let me say this, Phil. This has been so good. You know, you and I have talked. I want to have you back and and have you continue to share for the actors and and for others. Uh, you know, people are really enjoying this, and uh, I'd like to have you back soon too. No problem. So, right. one of my actors uh, that I think is is very very important. One of my actors once and I went to dinner. He was had been on a star of Young and Restless for nine years. He was the original Brad Elliott of YNR. And we go to dinner, and he talks to telling me the story about how in long ago times, his dressing room was right at the top of the stairs as you went up to the dressing rooms for Young and Restless. Across from him, going up the other stairs, was a talk show. And all the other actors on Young and Restless had been guests on that talk show, except for him, except for him. 
And what was really interesting is he said he talked to his agent, he talked to his manager, he talked to the showrunners, and nobody could get him on the show. Now, this is back in ancient history. Rex, you'll know uh-huh. this. This was the Dinosaur Show. And, oh, geez, yeah. Okay, so he finally concocted the scheme. He had played the clarinet in his high school band. He brought his old high school clarinet with him. He asked Wardrobe for a tuxedo. He knew every Wednesday at 9 a.m. they had their showrunner meeting for the Dinosaur Show. He put on his tux. He waited till he saw all of them go up the stairs, close their boardroom door. He walked down the stairs of his dressing room, up into the other room, opened the door to the boardroom. Someone said, can I help you? He looked at him, picked up his clarinet, played a little ditty on his clarinet, put his clarinet, tucked it under his arm, walked out of the room, walked back to his dressing room. He became the guest host of the Dinosaur <laughs> Show. <laughs> he tells me this story. I remember, he tells me the story probably in 1995. Uh-huh. Three years later, Danny Goldman, a commercial casting director in Los Angeles, has a, has a commercial that's running around the world where they're looking for a James Bond-type actor, very James Bond, who has to be able to play a clarinet or a horn, something like that. Well, I called Danny Goldman immediately and said, look, my actor was up to be an American James Bond if they decide to go American. Tom Halleck had auditioned for James Bond. He was very Sean Connery, that suave, good-looking, dark-haired guy. And he plays the clarinet. Well, he booked that international commercial, paid him about $70,000. It paid me about $10,000 in commission. You know what? Having dinner with my actor, well worth it. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you're you're a, a sage man, Mr. Brock. You certainly are. And it's been such uh, an incredible pleasure having you on the show, dispensing invaluable advice to actors and writers and to everyone. And uh, I can't wait to have you back. We'll announce that you know for the listeners so that they'll tune in and, and know just when and 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 where and how to. Uh, well, it'll be a Rex Sykes movie beat. So, uh, but it'll be in the future. And uh, I, but I surely appreciate you being here and taking the time and sharing uh, all that uh, you did with us today. You're a very busy person, and, and you took time out to do that. And so, thank you so much. All right, you have, all of your listeners and you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thanks, and good to talk to you, Rex. Oh, can I ask you one final thing? Yeah. Do you have a web a website address that you want to leave people with? I know you said Facebook and for you know different things. Sure. Let me give you our our quick addresses again. You can email me at phil at studiotalentgroup.com. Our website is www.studiotalentgroup.com. Um, you can also tweet me at stgacor. That's stg studio talent group actor on Twitter. Phil Brock on Facebook, and we absolutely were on the Internet all the time. We'll be happy to talk to you. Uh, we have a staff of six in our office in Santa Monica, and uh, you're welcome to get to know us there. Again, it's Phil at StudioTalentGroup.com, FTG Actor on Twitter, Phil Brock on Facebook, and our website is StudioTalentGroup.com. And very importantly, as president of the Talent Managers Association, you can also go to www.talentmanagers.org. <laughs> you know, you said all of that faster than I can get out RexSykes.com. That is amazing. You know, you know, in the late 80s, you know, my career path went from actor when I was 
in junior high and high school, and then I was an athlete at UCLA. Then I was an inner-city teacher um, and an inner-city coach throughout Los Angeles. I then owned a chain of retail stores. I did radio in Los Angeles from midnight to 5.30 a.m. when absolutely nobody's listening to the radio in Los Angeles. It was the Brock on the Rocket. And, well, anyway, so I was on the radio years ago. I also do an entertainment report every Monday afternoon on KCAA AM 1050 in Los Angeles, not to plug another station. But, uh, you know, I used to have uh, – I've done a lot of radio over the years, so it's actually way fun to be able to uh, give out some call letters or be able to talk to people. So I'm, I'm happy to do that. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Bill. I'll talk to you in just a couple of minutes. I know we're both on the run, but I'll talk to you in just a couple of minutes. Thanks so much for being here, and have a fabulous rest of your week. You too. All right, thanks. Again, that's Mr. Phil Brock of Studio Talent Group. What a fascinating guest and what useful useful advice. I want to thank everybody for joining in and listening and joining us in the chat room today. Also, I again remind you to please leave comments right there at Blog Talk Radio. Please rate and review the iTunes podcast when you go. Give us a five-star rating. That would be really great. I never used to ask for that. Somebody, so I, I came across somebody saying, rate us the best, and I thought, well, I'm going to steal that. So go ahead. Please tweet about it. The, all the live link shows are now archived link shows, so you can share this. When you leave here, if you get on Twitter and you say, hey, I just listened to an incredible show uh, Rex Sykes movie with Phil Brock and post that link again then others will be able to listen to it too anytime the show is live you're welcome to tweet comments about my guests and uh, or what we say uh, so share it share this link share it far and wide uh, give it away because uh, that's what we're doing and we're doing it all for, for you so that you can succeed at your career uh, Make your projects faster, whatever it is, in front of or behind the camera. I thank you for listening. Until we meet the next time, everybody have a fabulous day. And that is a wrap.